tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap. John Lennon, Buddy Holly, and Walk Hard. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. Well, it's actually nighttime. If we look outside right now, we can see that it's dark and we can't see that it's raining. But it is. But it is. We went from the driest... Midsummer to the wettest the late summer, summer I can yeah. ever remember. Yeah. And I think it's because Choney drives an SUV. I'm, I'm <laughs> probably. I believe JM does as well. I believe yeah. you do as well. Well, yeah, that's we're an wife. SUV. I, uh, I mowed my lawn on Monday and my grass, because I watered it during the drought. Uh, don't rat on me. Uh, my grass was 16 inches tall. <laughs> it was horrible. Did you go out and measure it? How did you know? I, pull, I pulled it, I pulled the blade out and measured it. It's 16 inches tall. It was crazy. Well, ladies and gentlemen, in case you think you just tuned into a gardening show, <laughs> uh, like the ones my mom used to listen to every Saturday, <laughs> this is not, this is, this is Vinyl Tap, where we talk about albums, and we talk about all kinds of albums, and this is, you know what we do, is one week I pick an album, one week Jonathan J.M. Rowe picks an album, next week Tony picks an album and then we let you pick an album on the fourth week what's coming up i believe that the next pick from our loyal listening fan base is going to be jeff buckley's grace which was released sometime in the early 90s it was a pretty popular album his, uh, i believe his only release yes and it contains the the Penultimate, yeah. penultimate, 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 yes, quintessential version of Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen. I yeah. think well, it would be the ultimate. The ultimate. Penultimate would be next, next to, to it. You're right. So I apologize. Thank Cale. you for You're, correcting me. No, it's always fun to correct people when other people. <laughs> Speaking of listeners, we are about to hit fifty thousand listeners, ladies uh, and gentlemen. Thank you. And we'd like to thank all of you, including those of you who download the podcast by accident. Um, <laughs> We're looking at I you, want you Neil to know, Young fans. I want Thanks, you to Neil know. Young. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Bachner Rock, Turner, Rock, Rock, Turner, Turner, <laughs> yes. Thanks, Randy. Um, <laughs> we owe you a beer. <laughs> the, uh, those of you who download by accident are just as important a part of the... <laughs> um, this is Final Tap family as yes. everyone else. Yes. We, we'll welcome you back uh, yeah. anytime. We hope you make the mistake again. <laughs> yes. All Continue right. Here. Well, 
Let's get to business tonight. The business. The business. Tonight we're talking about a 1982 album. Ooh, so we like know it's yesterday. not Doug's. <laughs> we, we, we've jumped a decade. <laughs> That's right. We've jumped more than a decade. Yeah. <laughs> we, we were at uh, 67 last week. Right. We were. So uh, this is Marshall Howard Crenshaw. And uh, he, he has some songs all of y'all have heard of. And I think we're in the same situation we've been in before where you're going, who the hell is that? If you're from Texas, that's what you said. I'm sure people in other parts of the country. They use another it. expletive. Oh, so yeah. I think well, in you New guys, Orleans, what are they talking about? I think in New Orleans, they say who dat, right? Yeah. I say who dat. Um, anyway, you're going to find out who that is. Uh, I think you're going to enjoy it. Now, let me say something about this. Uh, this is a... This is perhaps one of the most Tonysian <laughs> albums we've had. I'm surprised it took this long. That's what I was going to ask. I was going to ask Tony, what kind of discipline did it take to put this off as long as you did? Uh, I, you know, I, I fight being pigeonholed. Um, I, <laughs> Not very well. No, no. <laughs> I, I, I try to throw things out there like the uh, Commander Cody album or the uh, Sam Cooke or something like that. Otherwise, I just pick power pop albums all the time. So. Yeah. I, I do try to uh, spread my wings a bit, so um, yeah, it was it was it took some discipline, no, is no, what you're saying. Yeah. Well, I, I want to tell you that I'm joined tonight by Jonathan J M Rowe, our loyal and humble producer. Hello, everyone. Uh, I guess he's <laughs> FM tonight, and we have <laughs> KUT. <laughs> sounds like Venus Flytrap. He does. Um, I'm in memory of uh, John Ailey. I'm talking. About. Oh, R.I.P. <laughs> yeah, John Ailey. Yeah, R.I.P. And then we have, of course, we have. Uh, Tony. Now, Tony's got a lot of nicknames tonight, and, or, or every night. We're going to talk about some of Tony's nicknames. One oh, is PPT. That stands for Power, Power Pop, Pop Tony. Tony. <laughs> um, but he has another nickname that I don't think we've discussed before, and that is 23andMe T. What, what? I don't get that. Oh, you don't know about that uh-uh. one? It's, it's uh it's it comes up on our um, discussion page frequently. <laughs> what, what does it stand for? Well, I'm glad you asked because that's how we're going to start tonight's program. Tony, yeah, I want you to create a magical imaginary family tree for us tonight. Oh Lord, <laughs> I want to know. Why do you always put me on the spot, Doug? Well, when you pick an album, that's what happens. <laughs> I want to know. Uh-huh. The grandparents, parents, siblings, and children uh-huh. of Marshall Crenshaw are. Mm. Oh, come on. I think the grandfather's pretty easy. The grandfather's Buddy Holly. Yeah. Uh, Where's he from? He's from Lubbock, Texas. All right. So shut up, everybody. It thinks they have better music than we do. <laughs> Buddy um, Holly and Bob Wills trump anything you can. They, they absolutely do trump anything anybody so just else shut does. Up. <laughs> uh, probably the parents would be the Beatles, if that makes sense. I could see that. Yep. Uh, you said siblings? Mm-hmm. Who's next to them? Next to the Beatles? Or no, to- next to Marshall Crenshaw. I'm, I'm going to tell you about, I used to, right now my albums are supposed to be organized alphabetically, uh-huh. but when I was in college, I organized them by Genre? where I thought they went. Oh, okay. Like if little Steven would be right next to Springsteen, Springsteen right yeah. next, and on the other side of little Steven would be Southside Johnny. Okay, so sure. it went like that. It's the way my brain put them together. So Just if like you it, were yeah. doing that, um, who would be on either side of Marshall Crenshaw? Uh, is it is it is it of the same era? 
Doesn't have to be. Uh, I've got this game too, I, and I didn't do very well. Can I think of? Yeah, should yeah, go ahead, JM. Should we let JM talk? Yes. Yeah. Okay. How about the stray cats? Now, the, the reason I know that's a little bit out there. They're kind of like the bastard kid that you know gets like, in trouble all the time. But it's like, in the there's sparse like instrumentation. Butane? Like butane, it's the, <laughs> the bastard gas. <laughs> <laughs> no, the way the way that I think of it, it's just that the uh, it seems like there was a push at this time to kind of uh, scale back the music, the uh, all the instrumentation and the the fluff. And I think that's one of the things. That's what I thought of when I when I was listening to this. Well, I mean, they I think they it's, share. It's funny you say that because the. They share all the same, same lineage, DNA. and they sound yeah. way different. Yeah. They do. I mean, one, one, the straight cast. One's cats. really guitar-based. Well, they're both yeah. guitar based. I, I, well, I think I, I think the difference is um, straight. You can trace the Stray Cats back to Buddy Holly, but you, if you do so, you you do an end around the Beatles. Whereas, yeah. you, if okay, you trace, that's a very good, good way to good, say it. If you trace Marshall Crenshaw, it goes straight through the Beatles. So they're more right. cousins than uh, siblings. Yeah, because yeah, Buddy, and, I mean Buddy Holly, um, Stray Cats lived in a trailer, and they didn't <laughs> they didn't visit the Crenshaws very often. <laughs> yeah. Uh, REM. I mean, even though they it, no, I think REM is definitely in that camp. I think the DBs would be another oh, yeah, band yeah. I would throw into that camp. But uh-huh. they actually shared a label, so that makes sense. What about Nick Lowe? Oh, God. Yeah, thank you. Sorry. That's absolutely... Nick Lowe is absolutely That's who part came of to that. me. Uh, you say you got to be cruel to be kind in the right measure. Cruel to be kind. It's a very good sign. Cruel to be kind means that I love you, baby. You got to be cruel. That, yeah, I would even maybe throw... Throw Buddy or not Buddy? I said Buddy Holly because he looks like Buddy Holly. Elvis Costello in there. Yeah, um, yeah. That, but Nick Lowe definitely in that whole kind of rock pile uh, because Marshall Crenshaw definitely has some roots rock going on. Um, that's that, we're probably not going to be able to create a better understatement than that tonight. Yeah. Well, but I mean, it's but it's got a power pop sheen to it in in well, a way. That's true, that, but very much. I mean, <laughs> that makes this album. In this album is really slick and clean. In fact, he he didn't like how slick and clean well, it was years later. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and I think that, uh, and we'll get to that. There's a little uh, tri- triad of songs on this on on the first side that um, sort of stand out because they have more than any other parts of the album a very glossy early 80s sheen to them and mm-hmm. they stand out a little bit because of that they're not bad songs but they definitely don't the the production is a little off-putting compared to the rest of the album what about um, uh people he influenced well <laughs> well there's a whole slew of people he influenced. 
um, probably, I, I would say most of the power pop bands from the '90s that I listened to, he had some influence on. Could you name a few of those for? Uh, we might have, we might have someone in their twenties listening for the first time. <laughs> well, thirties, um, early forties. Yeah, I think I think uh, I think the Posies. I think uh, a band we talked about. I think Fountains of Wayne. Uh, Probably were influenced by him. That was um, so fun. The Fountains of Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> um, my mind. Think I'll have another glass of Mexican wine. Yeah, and 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 he also because he because of what his foundational sort of thing was, he influenced some other people too. I mean, he um, the last two times I've seen him play, and I haven't seen him play that often, just three in my lifetime. He played with the Bottle Rockets. The Bottle Rockets opened for him. They used to tour together. They would open for him, and then they would come out and be his backup band. Yeah. So he influenced the Bottle Rockets, which you think is odd because they were considered kind of a alt country band yeah um but that whole roots rock thing was really working at that point um man i i can't believe i i still am shaking my head about not thinking about nick Lowe because that is the that is like the well maybe maybe you were too close to it but for for myself um i came in with profound ignorance of this album and uh, yeah that that slapped me upside the head right away. I said, well, "Why wasn't he in Rock Pile?" <laughs> well, you know, another thing that uh, another person that he reminded me of back in when I first started listening to Marshall Crenshaw it was Steve Fobert. Can you ever because of that that kind of what I call that earnest Americana? I, stuff. I can see that. that I, think, I think um, ger- that the songwriting of, is so different. The songwriting is different, s- right? Staggered right. a little bit, but I, I know what you're like talking Steve- about. Meet me in the middle of the day. Let me hear you say everything's okay. Bring me southern kisses from your room Meet me in the middle of the night Let me hear you say everything's all right Steve Fobert went into the you know, John and Mellencamp. And he had such a weird, uh, yeah. weird voice. There, yeah. There's a bunch of people I could mention that nobody's probably heard of or very few people have heard of that are in, they're sort of power pop guys that um, have one foot in that sort of 60s, late 50s, 60s rock and roll and, and it and it's um and their music is inspired by that and it's it's retro without sounding retro which i think this album is retro without sounding retro i, I mean, agree. it's definitely got of th- that feel it's just, it's it's that's strange yeah. how retro and not retro yeah. and no, at he the does same a time great job. I, there's a, I don't a, know what's happening to make that happen but the, i think it's interesting there's yeah. a guy named there's a guy named uh, mark Bassino out of new york who has got two fantastic Albums. One of them's called a pop job. Is that what it's called? Oh God, I'm probably going to screw that up. And another one's called Million Dollar that. Milkshake. And they're both very influenced by that sort of '60s uh, um, rock and roll. Like it's it's essentially what I would call what I would say this album is is and I and I sound like a broken record, but it's it's Buddy Holly by way of the Beatles is what it is. Mm-hmm. It's that it's because if you hear, all right, I'm yeah. going to have to cut you off. Okay, because that's my next question. Okay. I want you to cut this pie in half. Mm-hmm. Half of the pie is pre-British invasion, mm-hmm. and the other half is post-British mm-hmm. invasion. What percentage do we put on which side? 
I thought about this all week. I think it's 60 40. 60 pre? 60 pre, 40 post. Yeah. Can um, we talk a little bit about how he might have become familiar with uh, Buddy Holly and the Beatles? Well, after listening to him with his uh, his father was a big influence, but that was most, mostly African-American music. Well, no, his dad, he also says that his dad, for which was odd for the time, um, had had rock and roll stations on in the car. Like he right, listened he to rock he listened and roll. AM rock and roll yeah. a lot. Um, his well, dad also was at Bikini Atoll when they blew up the Oh, I didn't know up. that. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, my I mean, not cool, it. but I mean, interesting. <laughs> um, the, uh, uh, yeah, he he saw he saw Buddy Holly on the um, on the Ed Sullivan show, and uh, I think he saw him on. Did he play American Bandstand or whatever the Dick Clark show was at the time? He saw him on that as well, and just fell head over heels for him. Um, you know, and then of course <laughs> he's uh, you know he we're getting into a little bit of the history, and I don't necessarily um, want to. Like jump ahead in that, but I will say he started playing the guitar in '63. He was 10 years old, and what happens? What what's immediately uh, post 1963? Beatles on Ed Sullivan, 1964, and and we t- we haven't talked about this a lot recently. But when we first started talking about the podcast, we talked about that blowing the top of your head off moment when you're sitting in front of the TV yeah. and the Beatles come on. You're like, where where has this been my whole life? And it just, there were certain people watching that show where they, at that point, there there was their trajectory was set. There wasn't anything else they were going to do. We yeah. I, I, we probably can name a, a bunch that had done that. I remember that was the moment for little Steven. Yeah. Um, who went on to form a radio station that's basically based on the British invasion and those bands that influenced the British invasion. Yeah. Well, and the, uh, not jumping ahead too far, but the first label that Crenshaw recorded for was sort of a, a precursor to that. The guy was wanted to, uh, he wanted to give a voice to bands, American bands that were, uh, were kind of steeped in, uh, 60s rock and roll and garage rock. So kind of a precursor to, uh, the underground garage. But um, the other thing is he so Crenshaw grew up in Detroit, yeah, and uh, he you know he's kind of coming of age. He's a teenager when you've got the MC5 coming around, um, and his dad seemed Mitch pretty, Ryder, yeah, yeah. His dad seemed pretty cool. His dad would take him go take him to see bands as they came through. So he saw Cream, he saw Hendrix. You know, and his dad would take him to those shows. So um, wow. he's getting kind of a musical education for a young guy that not a lot of people probably got because they didn't have such a cool dad. <laughs> <laughs> not many people have a dad that cool. All right, guys. I don't know what just happened. All right. (laughs) All right, my groovy friends. (laughs) If you have listened to us before and you made it past the first five minutes, (laughs) you probably recognize that it's time to play a game of connections. Um, This is is a big game of connections we're going to play tonight. I'm going to go to Jonathan J.M. Rowe first and see uh, if he has one for us. I do have one. Um, there's a guy on this album. He makes an appearance on one song, the bass player, Tony 
Garnier, Garnier. Uh, he was Bob Dylan's bass player, still is Bob Dylan's bass player. And we did a Bob Dylan album before. So even though I guess that's a bit of a tangential one because we, he probably wasn't on that album. He was not. I think the E string played bass on that album. <laughs> I think well, right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a connection that's sort of tangential too, because it's not about this album per se, but about the artist. The uh, album immediately following this called Field Day was produced by Steve Lillywhite. Really? And, yes. And Steve Lillywhite. I, I'm having trouble uh, putting Steve Lillywhite with this. Uh, well, yeah. uh, when when Steve Lillywhite produced Field Day, um, people were expecting another Marshall Crenshaw album. And what they got was Field Day, which is a thing I I think a fantastic album. It just doesn't sound like this. It one. doesn't. It's it's muddier sounding, but it's still. I mean, I think it's a great album. You can be a really clean album and still sound muddier than this yeah. one. Yeah. Right. So uh, he got a lot. Steve like actually got a lot of flack, and the reason why I bring him up is because he produced um, U two, who we've talked about. Who else jammed? Steve Big Lillie Country. White. Big Country. That's the Pogues. Right. The Pogues. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, he's got a lot of connections through that. Jam. Do you have another one? Uh, another tangential one of the guy who is the engineer on this album, Doug. Someone you're familiar with is a guy by the name of. Tom Panunzio and another John or a, another Bob Dylan connection. He did a lot of the remixes on Biograph from 1985, that box set that um, Dylan came out with. And there's definitely some songs off of Free Will and Bob Dylan on that. And I so. sat next to that gentleman in the recording studio at A&M yeah. Studios and yeah. uh, Real nice guy who didn't care one bit about my opinion on anything, <laughs> which is not uncommon, ladies and gentlemen. Tony, you got more? Well, I yeah, his uh, Marshall Crenshaw's very first single, um, which was for a label called Shake Records, and we'll get a little bit more into that, the, de the details of that a little later, um, was a song called Something's Gonna Happen. So that song uh, was uh, recorded in the in eighty eighty one maybe, uh, and if you heard, if you were listening closely, there's a nod to "Hanging on the Telephone," which was a Nerves <laughs> song that was recorded by Blondie yep. on the Parallel Lines album. Wow! <laughs> so, and it was an intentional nod to the Blondie version pretty, of that song. Pretty impressive connection, <laughs> if I must say. Okay, I've got one. I'm gonna. I'm going to shout out something and see if you can connect it to, to Marshall Crenshaw. Okay. Um, walk hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, he wrote the he wrote the title track to that movie. Did he really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, he wrote the title track to Walk. He was, I think, he was nominated oh, for a Golden Globe for he it. Should have. Oh, he um, should have won if he didn't. Walk hard, hard down life. Rocky Road, walk bold, hard. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you have not seen Walk Hard, uh, you got to do yourself. Get your children out of the room and then watch that <laughs> show because it makes fun of everything we've talked about. Uh, I guess it's the second best uh, 
movie ridiculing rock and roll after Spinal Tap. Yeah. Did you have another connection? I was going to ask this funny one. Um, Crowded House and the Kinks. I have no idea what that no connection would be. Let me say one word. Brother. Oh, oh brothers on the, yeah. His <laughs> oh, brother yeah. is the drummer. the drummer yeah. for this band. Yeah. Um, this is a... Uh, Marshall Crenshaw's brother is the drummer on this. And I, I can't think of it. Have we done anybody else who had a brother in the band? I think that's it, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, no. Dire Straits. Oh, yeah. yeah for uh, a little while, not by the time we were doing it. How, uh, how about this for a connection? Um... Los Lobos. Blank. I got a well, blank. Well, oh, they played with them they, on uh, La Bamba, right? He, Los Lobos did the oh. version of La Bamba that's in the uh, Richie Valens biopic in which Marshall Crenshaw plays Buddy Holly. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Well, <laughs> so, I mean, these are all kind dream of... Dream come true, yeah. It's, it's a of, very interesting guy because he's done so many things. Um, <laughs> and, well, uh, we got to talk about uh, John Lennon. Yeah, yeah, he, um, yeah, we, we talked briefly about his, his life in uh, Detroit. Um, he, um, I, I just think this is funny. I want to touch on this story real quick before we get into the Lennon thing. Uh, his first band, do you know what the name of his first band was called, Doug? The Rockets of Love. <laughs> was it? Wrong? No, no, I just made that up. <laughs> no, it was called Astigafa. A-S-T-I-G-A-F-A, which is an acronym for A Splendid Time is Guaranteed for All, which is a line from... For the Mr. Kite. From, Mr. Yeah, Kite. being for the benefit yeah. of Mr. Kite. So, uh, That's yeah. That's funny. Uh, is, uh, what's funny about it is his younger brother, who um, started playing drums at nine, was in a band called Rasputin, and they were that band was made up of all the younger brothers of the people in Astagafa. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, but anyway, his brother, uh, just real quick, his brother ends up getting uh, joining a music union later on and becoming part of an oldies bar band called Danny and the Robots. He's making pretty decent living. Astagafa is not, and so he gets Cren- Marshall Crenshaw to join Danny and the Robots, and so he starts making a little money off of that. But in 1976, he decides to leave Michigan, and he quits the bar band, and he's going to drive out to the West Coast with a high school friend to join his band. And uh, the plan was to live a year in L.A., and then uh, uh, playing with the band, uh, touring around Alaska or whatever, but that, for some reason, fell through. And he ends up joining a country band on the way there, uh, and and, um, and he tours with the country band. Uh, and when that tour is over with, he goes back to Detroit. Now, while he's in Detroit, this is getting and this is a long winded way to get this, but this is getting to the John Lennon thing. While he's in Detroit, he sees and he's reading a copy of Rolling Stone, and he sees an, a classified ad for a casting call for the Broadway stage review Beatlemania, and. Because he had the glasses, he wore wire rim glasses, and people used to tell him all the time he sounded like John Lennon. Well, he said they looked like him, too. Well, he looks like him, but they said he sounded like him. He uh, he decides to call the shot. number on the on the ad and ask if he can send them an audition tape and a picture. So he does that, and the, the song he ends up sending them is I Should Have Known Better. And he sends it to New York, and, uh, and he gets cast as an understudy for the John Lennon the main John Lennon star in Beatlemania in New York. Um, but uh, the he says that this is a, the perfect time to join this, this sort of thing because um, 
it's becoming a big deal at the time. There's the New York company, there's also the West Coast company, and there's a the Chicago company that's going to become a touring company. So Beatlemania in the, around this time is a huge, huge thing. The West Coast, uh, John Lennon ends up getting in a motorcycle accident. And <laughs> so they need a new John Lennon. Because Marshall Crenshaw... The gesture was on the sideline with a cast. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because John, uh, Marshall Crenshaw could play the guitar, he gets sent to, to the West Coast company of Beatlemania and gets this, becomes a starring John Lennon in that, that uh, company of Beatlemania. And they tour. He actually, they, they tour for about six months, and then he ends up being back in New York. So... Um, you know, he's a this is kind of a big deal. It's uh, his version of Ten Thousand Hours. He's essentially playing a role, but it's it's not. But he's actually playing. He's actually playing. He's, he's playing grinding away on yeah. all those tunes. Exactly. And so uh, he ends up when when he's back in New York, he ends up quitting Beatlemania because <laughs> because of an argument he has with the production stage manager, who accused him of just kind of going through the motions. And Marshall Crenshaw admits that that's true because once he got back to New York, it was he all he could think about was being part of the music scene there because it was a happening music scene at that time. Oh, well, yeah. I, doesn't John Lennon look like he's going through the motion sometimes? <laughs> Especially in that documentary, yeah. uh, recent documentary. But um, he seems like he wants to be anywhere else. But yeah. um, well, but when he quits, he decides he's he'd actually been writing songs while he's part of Beatlemania. And he decides he's going to start shilling his stuff. So he starts going around and he's sending cassettes of his music out to everybody, everybody. Um, it, but what he does while he's cut before he before he gets them on tape, he calls his brother in Detroit and says, "Hey, I need you to come out and help me with this." So his brother comes out and helps him cut the demos, and um, it's uh, Robert Crenshaw on drums and this guy named Chris Donato on bass. And they're playing around town. They're getting a little bit of a reputation. Um, but around this time, he crosses paths with a guy named Alan Betrock. Alan Betrock, you see, what, what happens is he sees a full-page ad in the New York Rocker magazine, which Crenshaw says he read religiously at the time, which was actually founded by Betrock in 1976. Hmm. He's launching a new record label called Shake Records, which I mentioned earlier, and that label is specifically trying to get people who sound like Marshall Crenshaw out into the public. Um Betrock produced one of Blondie's first recordings, a cover hmm. of the Shangri-Las out in the street. Um and uh, it, 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 the two of them just really hit it off. And so he records that song I played earlier, Something's Gonna Happen, the one with the nod to um, the nerves. Hanging uh, on the telephone. On the telephone. Um, but the other people that get signed to that label um, that are this kind of similar music are the Smithereens, which were they were a New Jersey power pop band. And uh, oddly enough, when Pat Nenenzio, the, the lead singer of that band, died, couple of years ago, Marshall Crenshaw took over touring duty, singing lead for the Smithereens. And the, the DBs were also on that label. He starts getting the attention of major labels at this point. And uh, he's got, I think, four or five labels interested in him, including wow. including RCA and Warner Brothers. And he, he <laughs> said, this is kind of funny. He says he signed with Warner Brothers. It was less money than RCA offered him. But he signed with them because he thought they were cooler and more fun to hang around with. Well, they yeah, I they did have they more did, artistic some, freedom. They did, and, and they, they had, didn't invent the single. 
<laughs> well, and we've talked about Warner Brothers before being the, well, yeah, the label the that seemed, they yeah. seem to give people. Ricky Lee Jones was on it. Van Morrison was on yeah. it. Um, Rod Stewart was on it. For, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, so w- what's um, interesting about that is um, he decides to drop Bet Rock at the time, and he wants to produce his. Once he signs with Warner Bros., he wants to produce the debut himself. And he gets in the studio, and he's a little bit over his head. He's not quite at the point where he can do that. So Warner Brothers brings in this producer named Richard Gautier. And um, do you guys know much about him? I know nothing about him. He wrote My Boyfriend's Back, and I Want Candy. He wrote a lot. He wrote wrote a lot. Sloopy. Yes, he wrote that as well. I mean, he's he's like a a big deal. He's like a pop superstar. He's a big deal. Wow. Um, Yeah. He at the time he's um he's involved with Robert Gordon. Uh, wait a minute. The rockabilly, the neo rockabilly guy, Robert Gordon. Okay. Yeah, and, he's his manager. Yeah, he's his manager. Um he also produced Blondie's debut and he produced the Go Go's debut. This is Connection. A big, I think connection. I didn't know that one. And we forgot about both of well, those. You know, that's why I wanted to do it because I knew we were gonna get in this guy. Yeah. Getting the connection <laughs> yeah, was gonna be a connection every with the Go Go's and, and yeah. with Blondie. But um so what's what's interesting about the Robert Gordon thing is that Robert Gordon ends up, and we'll talk about it when we get the song, he ends up cutting Someday, Some Way and has a hit, a minor hit with it. I think it like hit number 74 or something like that. Uh, when I get to my notes, I'll know the exact number. Um, and uh, before Marshall Crenshaw releases it. So anyway. It's so he did a version of it before Mar- Marshall Crenshaw. Yeah, there's also another That's song. another way to say it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, I was just surprised. I just didn't know that. that... Yeah. But this album, so this album comes out, uh, the Marshall Crenshaw album comes out and people are freaking out over it. The, I mean, the Rolling Stone said he may not be the next big thing, but he's the next necessary thing. I mean, Hmm. they were people, the press loved this album. They were gushing all over it. Did it not pop out and, and there was, there was, uh, a lack of, of this kind of honest... Uh, well, think yeah. about 1982. You know it was was uh, Survivor was on the top yep. of the charts. Yeah, the I mean... There was just, a lot of... There was just... Synthesizers and... Air Supply was big at the time. What about yeah. that? What was that? St. Elmo's Fire? Yeah. Stuff like that. I think that. that's later. It doesn't matter. That, I hated all of but, that. Yeah, but there was... This was also when the hair band stuff was starting to come out. Ozzy Osbourne was big and... I wouldn't call Ozzy a hair... Disc- I wouldn't call Ozzy a hair Well, band. okay. But the, but the histrionics, the histrionic guitar but, parts well, and the synthesizers but, that yeah, but were in this, heavy metal. At this point, really what's... what's? I mean, this is 82. That's still a little early for that stuff. What's really hitting... The, what's topping the charts, like I said, is uh, Eye of the Tiger by Survivor. It's Even the Nights Are Better by Air <sighs> Supply. It's uh, it was uh, the Ariel dull drums. It's yeah. that it's that really schmaltzy Chicago stuff, you know, where they got really kind of uh, adult contemporary. The, um, I, the only thing come, that the only someone th- hasn't done an investigation to figure out how many bands are actually called Chicago, because <laughs> I don't know any band that comes out sounding more different than themselves. <laughs> and the only band that sounds remotely similar to this that was doing well was the Go Go's debut was released around the same time.
Yeah. So that you could call similar in terms of its instrumentation and its approach to music. Yeah. yeah. Um, but this album was, like I said, glowing reviews. It uh, it spent six months on the Billboard album charts. It peaked at number fifty, sold over four hundred thousand copies. It uh, it's um, was has been selected number seventy two on Rolling Stone magazine's hundred best albums of the eighties. I mean, this album is is. Uh, a big deal for people who are paying attention to it, I guess. Yeah. Um, was it better than Rosanna? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot. Asia was also. Oh uh, God, big at Asia. The time, yeah. Too. Uh, um, there was just so much crap. <laughs> Rick Springfield. I don't mind. Rick I know, that, that that wasn't so bad. Gloria, Gloria. God, I hated that song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 1982 is just a, you know, just... It's a Well, you know what else was... There's one good one. Good Willie did Always On My Mind. Well, I, I like that album. He well, did a good Business album as Usual that. also came out that year. That's yeah, a fine album. Yeah, I, I like that album. So. I bet Rain and Men came out that year. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't remember, yeah, I remember... Oh, what, that's when Jackson Brown... Tender should is have, the night. No, yeah. lawyers and somebody's love. baby. Oh, That's yeah. when he should have crashed into a cliffside. Yeah. Getting in the album, I, I realized I have to do a shout out. I know we don't normally do this, but I got to give a shout out to my friend Rich Horton for two reasons. One is um, he had really wanted us to do this album. It's not a recommendation. We're not going to count as a recommendation because it was already on my list. But he really wants to do us. And today's his birthday. So yeah. happy birthday! Happy birthday! Of course, it's going to be three weeks before this. That's comes okay. Out, he'll, hear, he'll hear it. He'll, he'll remember you had a birthday. Yeah. Uh, JM's Avalon came out this year, Ugh. and my favorite Elvis Costello album, Imperial Bedroom, came Bedroom. out this. Yeah, that's a good album. Um, this is when MTV was kind of at their. They were going through their "What Are We?" And I remember uh-huh. when this. I could not stand most of what MTV was playing at the time. When this song would come on i was just instantly glued i would drop everything i was doing and just and it was live the video was yeah live. that that was the thing one of the things crenshaw looking back on his time uh i don't think he regrets it but he's he's very well aware of the fact that he didn't play the game like he didn't do videos he wasn't he was really he says because this album was such a big deal kind of immediately he didn't have his his way of talking in interviews down, and he was uncomfortable out in the public. I mean, sure. other than being on the stage, he was uncomfortable in interviews and stuff. So he did himself a disservice just because he wasn't prepared for the impact this album had on his life. Yeah, well, who would be? You know, on the radio. I I did I didn't know this album when it came out in '82. I was listening oh. to Business as Usual, <laughs> but I will say that this this type of pop music. If if you were to ask me, you know, power pop's kind of a large umbrella, right? If you were to ask me the type of power pop I love, um, I love that that stuff that's rooted in that '60s Beatlesque, that early Beatles, almost slightly rootsy, because the Beatle early Beatles stuff had a bit of a country well, they were, influence they to were, it. Uh, yeah. doing um, Buddy Holly, yeah, yeah. So that 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 just, stuff, I've seen a face. Just listen. To that yeah, song. exactly. It's, that I love. That's that's my favorite sort of subgenre of power pop. Yeah, I, I, I it, it just brings a smile to my face. Well, this um, guy's got the. Uh, the guitar down for well that's that. about he is a very good guitar player he, he's an no effortless idea. guitar player yeah. and he's he's playing uh he's he can go outside of that stuff that buddy holly and those guys were doing but mm-hmm. uh, I, I watched a bunch of videos of him most of the time he's not strumming and and we're talking about a 
combo with three people, and yeah. he's playing arpeggios rather than strumming. He is. Which yeah. makes it more interesting. It is. And, uh, and then when he needs to take a lead... It's just, uh, well, let me take care of this bu- little piece of business here. It, and he does a great job yeah. without, what, without the flash. What it does is it gives this, the music this very uh, unique kind of chiming quality to yeah. the songs. Yeah, Well, um, and it, um, he doesn't have to introduce as much modal change as other bands would have to because he's... Um, Playing more complicated guitar work during yeah. the song, and it's, it's it takes longer for it to get old. It's a um, I'm just looking at the album cover here in front of you. It's a very it's funny because it is also retro and not retro. It's got a 1950s Formica tabletop on it. This kind of retro uh, tea set. It's, it's got yeah. uh, retro colors, but it <laughs> but looks it doesn't look like it's from the 50s. It looks like it's from 1982. <laughs> yeah, it does. It, it's I don't know how they I guess do it's, that. It's, I think it's, it's his coat. Yeah. It's, well, it's a perfect match for yeah. the for the music because yeah. hey man, it looks like well, it's not from the 50s, but no. it looks like it's supposed to be from yeah. the 50s. <laughs> yeah, but. It's yeah. interesting, and the probably the most interesting thing is they have a bass on the back instead of a guitar. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know why why that happened. <laughs> but he has a he, he's uh, the other guys were probably busy with yeah. ladies, and uh, the bass player <laughs> the bass was the only one there. Yeah. Hey, he play, he played play? bass on a lot of the demos himself. Yeah. Well, I, he plays everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah he got. Towards the end, I mean, his latest albums, I think he plays a lot of the instruments himself. Have we ever talked about an artist that didn't ever have long hair? <laughs> <laughs> he went from no from short hair to no hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. But there's not this period of him during his hippie days. No. Well, I don't know if it's his hair or a wig, but those Beatlemania pictures are pretty funny. <laughs> I bet it's. I hope those are on the on the. uh, They will be on the. At least one of them will be on the website. It's pretty pretty funny. It's funny how much people who aren't the Beatles look so out of place when they're wearing a Beatles haircut. I mean, it just doesn't work on anybody else. Well, um, we've been talking for forty (laughs) five minutes. Would y'all like to talk about the album? Let's do it. Let's let's do do it. All right. All right. So this album starts out on side one. That's where that's a good place to start. Yeah. Uh, Not left or right, it starts on one. There she goes again. I'm not sure I know, but it makes no difference now. I try. I get that feeling when she drives on by. And there she goes again with another guy. It's a sad situation. <sighs> is this is what? this a song about a girl? <laughs> It's a song about a girl. It's, this, it's an old-fashioned, my girlfriend just broke up with me. What am I going to do it's now? It's the same theme as my best friend's girl, right? Yeah. This yeah. guy, except it's a little bit more removed from that. It's not... <laughs> but yeah. uh, this is a, such a great way to open this album. It is. And it's almost got that... It's got that four on the floor, but it's got a, almost a reggae well, beat it's behind a, it. It's... Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... Um, it's... It just sets the mood because it's it upbeat, it's catchy as hell. Mm-hmm. It's just like the rest of the album. And, <laughs> and it shows it's, it's really, really retro, and it doesn't sound retro at the same time. It's, That's the yeah. theme of the album. It's got that fantastic kind of chugging bass line. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and those drums that are just kind of rolling around in the back it makes of me it. miss my pickup. <laughs> I want to drive yeah. at dusk 
with my my pickup with my girlfriend right next to me the way yeah. you can't do it in modern pickups because they have a stupid console. Yeah, it um and just the the ringing guitar lead in it. Well, is yeah, just, the guitar lead's amazing, so and it's a great way. It's a great introduction to, to his guitar playing because, like you were saying, Doug, he doesn't strum. And he he just does those those really cool arpeggios, and I I was listening to What's it. What's an arpeggio? An arpeggio is when you play the individual notes of a chord rather and than actually one hand's playing it. the chord and the other's playing the notes. We yeah. uh, we talked about that a lot when we did uh, reckoning because REM yeah, there's a big a REM. The Peter Buck's big on the ar- arpeggios. arpeggios. They are, and this guy's a lot better than REM. <laughs> but he does some really great just. Finger picking arpeggios. It's and a then good band. It is uh, a fantastic uh, band. This is, uh, as we've talked about, it's way smooth, and it's a lot of sound for three guys. It is. Well, and, it's hard and to they, believe it's they three had, guys. you know, they had been playing around for a while. If you listen to, and there are live, there are live albums of them <laughs> playing yeah. at this era on and YouTube, it's, and it's they are great. They are on fantastic. YouTube, they, you think, is this them pulling a uh, live at the pops or whatever that yeah. deal is yeah. where they. But they're playing. They're playing. But it sounds yeah. as good as the record. It's really uh, good. Which is yeah. the strength and, of a, a three-piece combo. They can go out yeah. and play the record like a lot of people can't. Um, yeah. Yeah. And 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 we I just want to talk about as well something that just puts a smile on my face. The harmonies on this album oh, yeah. are so, so great. So, so we have good. blood and, harmony, don't we? Yeah. It's and they're, so and they're understated almost. Like you almost don't. It's like they're singing the whole time, and then whenever Marshall Crenshaw steps out, it's a little bit jarring because you don't realize how often they're harmonizing. The, the other thing is, uh, I think worth mentioning is uh, this is two and a half. This is a two and a half minute pop perfection. Oh, yeah. the longest song in this album is three minutes and ten seconds. <laughs> and why is that? Because they're pop songs. Well, and because he fell in love with songs like this. Yeah. I mean, he's he makes no no bones about the yeah. fact that he's trying to perfect what he grew up with yep. and what he fell in love with. Yep. And 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 we again did not sound like a broken record but the, his ability to to conjure up the feeling of that music and mm-hmm. make it sound modern is really remarkable. Yeah. You yeah, know. I we're going to have to figure out a way to stop talking about that because <laughs> we're we're talking about this contrast between uh the modern and that yeah, retro and it it's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. But we had this other song. <laughs> yeah. Well, what song is I that? think this most people would expect to find on side two, track one. But here it is, track two, side, side one. What's the name? Uh, it's called Someday, Someway. And everybody's about to go, oh, yeah, <laughs> I remember. If you're an A&R guy and you hear that and you don't know it's a hit, you've <laughs> joined the wrong profession. Yeah. Well, it, it's funny you mentioned that, Doug, because I, as I said, Robert Gordon recorded this song in, and got it, 
got a hit from it and marshall crenshaw didn't want to do it because of that he's like people are sick of the song and warner brothers said no, no. you go in and record <laughs> this song and we're going to release it i didn't mention this the last song the first song that we talked about was the second single on the album this was the first single and rightly so yeah and it it knocked it out of the park well it was just such like we what, were talking about 30 earlier. something uh, yeah yeah it bro- broke the top 40 it it catapulted this album into the top 50 yeah um it, it's really uh it's really kind of the the thing that i mean he's he said looking back on it he feels dumb that he ever questioned doing his own version of it how many times have we encountered that though yeah well well <clears throat> And it's really funny because it's uh, the the basic groove of the song is uh, a Gene Vincent tune called "Lot of Lovin." So baby, can't you see that you were meant for me? I want your loving, yes, sir. I so yeah, he. Oh, who does that? Oh, guys, that reminds me of somebody. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, he said that uh, well, he just took that he, he as a starting point. Uh, that beat and because uh, he liked it because it had kind of a hypnotic effect is what he yeah, said. Yeah. And then he just wrote a new melody around it. And then the lyrics um, were very simple. Uh, they're influenced by he he'd gotten um, when he moved back to Detroit after uh, being uh, bef- on in the you know with that other band he ends up marrying his girlfriend at times. So this was about his beginnings of his marriage, um, and uh, yeah. And the funny I just want to go to the Robert Jordan thing again real quick because the funny thing about that was when before Robert Jordan c- recorded it, he got a call. He calls Marshall Crenshaw. Marshall Crenshaw, of course, knows who he is. Um, but he didn't know he he didn't know Robert Gordon knew who he was. Hmm. He gets this call on an answer machine, and uh, he'd heard the song because uh, Crenshaw had dropped off one of his cassettes to um, the guy who's producing this album, and that's how he heard it. Um, and uh, Robert Gordon, who actually recorded a couple of Marshall Crenshaw's tunes, just loved it. Just loved it immediately. And said, "I got to do this." And his version is is uh, pretty interesting as well. I mean, it's, in my opinion, not as good. It's not as good, but it's kind of ska-based, you yeah. know? Yeah. It's um, a little faster. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a big, more round upbeat. voice. Um, yeah. But, you know, like I said, it hit uh, 74, 78, something like that. Or 76 on the Billboard Top 100 in 1981. So that's why he didn't want to record it. He's like, people know the song. I don't want to do it. And then he le- leapfrog over that version of yeah. it. Um, yeah. Well, one thing I want to say about it, his guitar playing on that someday, some way part. Yeah. Watch the video of him singing that and his fingers are going. He's just making chord. Every, every word is a chord. Mm-hmm. And it's so cool to watch him play how effortlessly. I've, I've he never heard it. anybody talk about him as a guitar player. But I was just uh, blown away when he does it's that. that thing where you're good at too many things. People yeah, ignore it. Yeah, yeah. I'm the most intriguing thing about this song is how it just every part of it just rings off of the right there's like this chime i don't know what you call it there's like some little bell chime in the background the guitars are chimey every his voice everything about it is just it's almost 
none of the song is a non-hook. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Exactly. That's yeah. a weird that's, another, that's another thing he says he he didn't he thinks that, that that he said he read a review one time when someone said this guy was uh he, he could easily create hooks and he thought that dismisses the more deeper qualities of his music. I'm like, God, you just step I back. Bet it, well, he, I bet it. He needs now to sit down like, and have a, a conversation with little Steve. Exactly. Say, That's what I was thinking. Writing the pop song is the hardest thing in the <laughs> yeah, world. Exactly. Um, the, the B side of the single was a song called you're my favorite waste of time. And, uh, <laughs> it was a great title, song. Which is a great song. Uh, it was a song inspired by the Hollies. Here's another sort of weird connection. If you will, it was covered by Bette Midler, who we talked about. And who, Meat, whose Meat album? Was that Meatloaf? <laughs> Meat she did a yeah. Jim Simon song? She, yeah, she yeah. did. Um, I knew that we were connected with her. Lost Boys and heaven, heaven, heaven Can Wait. Heaven, heaven Can wait. wait. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, she recorded that. But, oh, she did Tom Waits, too. But anyway. Yeah. But the, the, other, the other thing he, that's interesting about this is um, when uh, that first single of Crenshaw's that I played on Shake Records was going up the charts in New York the same time the Robert Gordon version of Someday, Some Way. Oh. So he was like, he's like, I don't know what to do about this. Like, wow. so he's sitting there and two of his songs are charting locally in New You're York. that you mailbox know? money. Yeah. Yep. So, well, anyway. Tony, I don't know if you listened further, but there is a third song on this album, Girls, which probably could be the title for this album. Well, you uh, you faded it out, right? Uh, kind of something I wanted to talk about real quick. If you recall when we when we did um, Odyssey and Oracle, there's a song on Odyssey and Oracle called Changes, and you said Changes was you no, said Ch- Changes was your nomination for the number one song that could have had the bongo drums removed from it. <laughs> I'd like to nominate this song for that as well. <laughs> well, I don't even notice them. Oh, I do. Uh-huh. I would like to nominate this song for the song that should have been left off. Yeah, no, this is the f- this is the first song of the next three, although it's the weakest of the three that sound very. 1982 to me. This is where, yeah, I start losing I see a little people interest. Spinning around in a dance floor on the love boat. Um, yeah, this. Yeah. It's weird how much this has that early sh- 80s. Sheen. But you know, one of the I'm things. Thinking, what? It's too it? slick sounding. It me. is a little it, too slick sounding. What, right. What kind of pressure was he under? Had people if, kidnapped someone? If you he listen loved to the live version of this, this song, it's it significantly sense. better. It's still not. Anywhere close to well, the, the first best time, yeah. I, 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 but the, before I heard it this last round, we've been listening to it. I did hear the live version, and it's much better. Yeah, it's significantly better. Are you able to hear that song without seeing a uh, a disco ball? No, no, it's I, I agree with <laughs> it, you, it's complete a, with Wawa. It's, it's got a, the Wawa at the start of it. Um, I don't misstep. think it's, I don't think it's unfortunate because it, it is the song, it's. I think one of the things that he misses on is that it is him trying to be, he's trying to be a little bit more sophisticated than he probably should be. Is your shirt lapel outside of the suit <laughs> on this song? That's the only question I have. Well, you uh, know, it's got um, the distorted, but it's got a suspended and then it does kind of have that four on the floor disco kind of beat. That's not the, not the cute, not the country Western four on the floor. This is the disco four on the floor. You know what four. song he left off of this album? 
Whenever you're on my mind. The the single off of his second LP, which is fantastic. He left that off. Terrible video. And we got girls instead. Well, I think we can all agree that um, we're going to forgive him for that because of the rest of the album. But um, if he would like advice before doing that again, he can find us. Earlier, the next song is I'll Do Anything. This is this is by no means my favorite song on this album, but this song should have been a hit. In it should have been, and it, it, just because it sounds exactly like like that. It's got that eighties pop and bass. Can, I, can and, I tell you another album that was a big hit this year? What's that? Duran Duran. Yeah, and that dang, yeah, dang, that sounds straight yeah, out of Duran Duran. It's definitely got that eighties bass. Um, it, huh. It's just such a such a better song and girls that I I give it a I give it a pass even though it yeah. feels of the same sort it of does like this is we're trying to do something a little bit more of the era. Um, well, you know who I was thinking the police. I think that that guitar sound is so well, I know, Andy I know Summers. Why you say that. Because yeah, it's got that, that no, that it's not as, it's not as no, good as any. No, no, it's not I had, as good. I hadn't but thought about but that. It but it doesn't have it. I heard I heard Duran Duran the minute. No, I, 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 I think Duran Duran's a better uh, a, a better uh, description. But you're right. It does have that kind of. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, Under. we got yeah, we got yeah. Angry Zeus. <laughs> he likes this song. Um, he, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't like our but, comments. But it's girls. it is interesting because this is the second. So. We'd gone a long time with about talking about sequencing, and I brought it up in the last of the um, a surrealistic pillow episode. I think this the, the this song, the song before it, and the one we're about to talk about, um, they they all have that kind of feel that the rest of the album does it. And I think it would have done this album a better service if they had spread the wealth a little bit and moved those songs around and and put them in between other songs instead of putting them one two three in a row yeah it's definitely a, a low point of the album again this it didn't song, have to be this song is not anywhere near as bad as girls is but it definitely doesn't feel like the rest of the album yeah i agree with you it, i mean right. they, they could have put it on uh zendetta mandata whatever <laughs> <laughs> what language is that i don't know the police made up a lot of stuff and on their album titles Zenyana Madonna. I don't know if that's an actual inmate, but what about a do 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 a da da da? <laughs> I think that means a do 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 a da da da. <laughs> well, we got this other uh, rocking around NYC. Jam, can yeah. you tell us the initials NYC? What do they that stand stands for? Stands for New York City. New Get York rope. City. <laughs> Is the uh, triumphant? This is the one that sounds the most like squeeze to me. I thought that too. That's, <laughs> That's funny you said that. That's interesting. Um, I, I think it's. I like the guitar solo in it a lot, uh, even though it's pretty brief. And this one is another one that if you hear it live, no, it's, it's the much last better. three songs again. I I don't know. It's a weird thing. There's like this weird dip where girls, I'll do anything, are rocking around NYC are 
they they just you can you can tell there was a, a something going on where they're trying to sound a little bit more modern. Yeah, uh, and it's got that '80s polish to it. The okay. instrumentation sounds it would different. Be interesting to know yeah. if there was somebody advocating for this sound and yeah. someone else advocating. Yeah, it's for so the weird. Other. Like these three songs all sound fuller. They they don't sound. You take these three songs off of this album, and the rest of the album sounds. It has a, a unifying sound to yeah. it. Well, that's that's. Um, that's where I bumped into this struggle where, you know, I'm, I'm listening in my car. Yeah. So depending on a trip, you may get two or three songs mm-hmm. per trip. And so some trips I'm going, gosh, this is great. I love this. I yeah. love this. And then the next time I go, why did I like this so much? What's wrong with you? Yeah. And then it, eventually then I figured back. out it was about these three songs yeah. that it, were uh, it, It's really weird. I would me. love to ask him about that. Um, about I mean, he still plays these songs live, or at least plays well, girls Well, we should live, have him on. He's requested three times to be interviewed <laughs> by us. Um, anyway, uh, it's just weird. It's a weird thing. Again, uh, I'll Do Anything and Rock and Run and NRC are not bad songs. They just I think they really stand out because of the sequencing of where they are. And there's, I don't know what this what they've done with the production but yeah it's so. weird it's bizarre there's some guest musicians maybe another, they come there's another there song on the second side that sounds when we get to it it sounds a, a little bit like they're like he's matured the sound up but it doesn't do what these songs do you know yeah so. well maybe after listening to it for another five years i'll figure out yeah. exactly well, what you have to let me know Thank well, God! Thank God we end the album on or end the side on a high note. Here we right? go back to the other sound and the unusual thing. things this sounds like it could have come out of sun studios um and the other thing is it sounds like rock pile almost totally to me on this like how do you not become a member I, of it's, rock it's pile? bizarre that i never put the two and two together but it's so obvious that it's it's so obvious <laughs> i feel too like close to it tony <laughs> um it's the most buddy holly song on the album i think oh yeah um, by far what? Um, Why is it reminding me of Doug Som somehow? Oh, that's interesting. I that is know. interesting. I can see that. Though. Yeah, a little bit. I, I can't guess. put my finger on it, but uh, well, it's got that walking baseline, and this is the one with Tony it, Garnier on it. Yeah. The, is there the something, slap bass or the is there uh, something upright bass? Mexican about it? I don't think so. Well, it, so it sounds. Um, I could hear a. I could hear a little accordion <laughs> play. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, guess and so. I, I don't know why. I can't put yeah. my finger on it, but that's what hit me in the brain when I first heard. Um, but thank God, he decides to pull back and put. I said thank you. I don't know why you're so angry. <laughs> that was your welcome. Oh, thanks. Uh, he's he's uh, you know it's a perfect way to end this side. Thank goodness, right? Yeah, he did it, a great job. And it, it does uh, come to the rescue. Oh yeah. yeah. All right. Well, back in the day, we used to flip these suckers over, and we get to side two, track one. And it would be a hit. Yeah. But yeah, not so much. It's not really going to be a hit. She can't dance. Can't 
I wish I was 24 years old watching this live with a yeah. girl I really like. This is the most danceable. Like, this is the only song. It's, I don't like to dance, and this song makes me want to dance. Uh, I love it. She's got to be part of the pop music thing. <laughs> Such a great line. Uh, this this is one of it's vying for the most kind of upbeat rocking song on the album. Uh, yeah, it's a great. Um, it is. It, it's uh, it's just a happy happy song. Uh, it, it's funny. I, I never thought about the Stray Cats until you mentioned them, but this feels that this does this feels a, like well, that. Know, that. So I mentioned Stray Cats. I mentioned uh, Fabulous Poodles. The other band that came out about this time that I was falling in love with was Los Lobos. Yeah. And to me, this sounds like it could yep. have been off yep. that. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Yeah. yeah, that's true. But this is outside music. Yeah. This is outside yeah, exactly. at a uh, concert Yeah. with the, with bulbs, those, those yeah. bare bulbs. Yeah. <laughs> and you're on a cement dance It's like a fan, that movie Fandango. Oh, what a great movie. Yeah, yeah that's our recommendation. Yeah, if you haven't seen <laughs> Fandango, run out and watch it immediately. It's so great. Yeah, no Fantastic yeah. soundtrack. Yeah. And it's even, I mean, for me to say that, and there's at least two Eric Clapton songs on it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think we ought to watch that again. But it's, we ought to have movie night at the we minute. Should. Or yeah, we should. So oh, make man, our wives the, sit here and listen, listen to us talk about movies. The bass work on this song, I got to give some props to that guy. He, he amazing guy. bass work. I can't wish camera. I can't remember his name. It's not his brother. No, it's the one that's not his brother. <laughs> Chris Donato. Yes, Chris. That's why I couldn't remember. That, that was yes. why. When you marry a Hispanic woman, you is it Hispanic or Donato. Italian? I don't know. Is anyway, fine, fine bass player, wherever you are. I All remember right, watching him. He was good. I, I tell you what happens next. Doug Cooper's favorite song comes on next. My favorite song comes on next as well, Doug. Oh, how about that? How about that? Mine too. This is yep. different than uh, Neil Young's cinema. Well, right? <laughs> I, I was going to say this is my. Ro- I, I mentioned last week. I had uh, to you guys that I have a rock and roll equation. You have your thing about the monkeys. You know what are your what are your rules? Uh, do the monkeys record it, or could, could the monkeys could record the monkeys, it? monkeys record, record it. it and make it a hit? Is it good enough song to be? If it if, is it pop enough to do that? Yeah, you had a couple other if rules. If you can read the words without the music, do they right. hold up? Right. And what was the other one? I sent JM a text. How many years ago did I send you this? It text? was uh, like a year and a half ago. I think it might have been even longer than that. I was listening to this song and I just wrote Cynical Girl greater than Cinnamon Girl. And that's <laughs> that if you want to know an equation that sums up and Tony Slagle's just... rock and roll mentality, it's that right there. I think I said Yep. This but song is so great. This is this may be my favorite song by him ever. It, and it's it's Probably my favorite song, but I've been. We'll talk about my the next song later. But I, fantastic song. I I this may be one of my favorite pop songs ever. Yeah. How did um, how did it not become a hit? I have, I have no, no well, idea. Well, it was it was a single, but it uh, it was actually going back to the 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 people who actually like good music. It was actually a bit of a minor hit in the UK, I believe. Over here, well, people, there he is with his. 
UK snobbery. Yeah, so much. Yes. Yeah, uh, this this song is so great, and it's got that chimey quality to yeah. it again. It just it's it's the best produced song on this <sighs> album too, because I think that the engineering it's so crisp. The engineering, I got to give that Tom Pagnuzio the Pag the Pag uh, some props on that. I think he just really brought this out. The guitar solo is really cool. This um, this was the lyrics were written to him when he was going down to um, pay a traffic ticket. Oh, really? He had written the music and he was struggling with the lyrics and he went down to court to pay a traffic ticket and, and then they just bumped into her. I don't know. They just all started coming out. He said that the thing about the girls actually just window dressing because the song's really about how much he despised pop culture at the time. <laughs> it's all about you know he puts the cynical on her but it's all about his feelings about pop culture in 1980 i wonder how he feels about it now (laughs) what was it we had uh uh an argument between pierce morgan and uh what's her face it's got her butt on the cover of a magazine i don't know Uh, there's lots of that and kardashian oh kim Kardashian. kardashian yeah so yeah. it's, it's interesting that someone decided a butt need to be on the cover of a magazine. <laughs> he, uh, the other thing I love what he says about the song is when he's talking about that line, I hate TV, I hate TV. Yeah, line, yeah. He says, he goes, that's a really weird thing to say in a rock and roll song. But whenever he gets the idea that it's almost too stupid to put in a song, he Make does sure it anyway. Goes, mm-hmm. He does it anyway. Well, I understand that. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I, I remember I used to give up TV for Lint. Yeah. And then when I'd come back to it and hear the laugh track. Yeah, it startles you and say, "This stuff is garbage." If well, what's you just the, break away from it for a little. What's while. the song off of the Surrealistic Pillow album about addiction to TV? Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, um, so yeah. that's a plastic fantastic yeah. lover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's a connection. Man, this <laughs> this song, I I never ever ever get sick of hearing this song. You know, it's what? a pretty simple chord progression. It is. Isn't it's a it? very simple chord. One, four, uh, five, one, four, five, over and over again. Yep, pretty much. It doesn't really change. And it, it's it got that uh, everyday yeah. drum beat behind yeah, it. Yeah, that's, maybe that's I think it that's too. a big part of what makes it, because I love that song, and I love Who that Who doesn't love that song? You gotta that song's so great. you got to be a sad person. If, if, if somebody like doesn't like it, they're really cynical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but a bum. And we got this other tune oh. that is also very attractive and very popular, or um, relatively popular. It's a song song about a girl, <laughs> Marianne. I love the way the bass steps out, yeah, and then it comes back late, yep. later than you think it should, and then the drums copy. You don't even do know. All of a thing. sudden, you're like, you're, you're not even aware that you're not hearing bass, and then all of a sudden, the bass boom, comes boom, in. You're like, and then oh, my. you're not hearing drums. Yeah, and then here they, they come. come in. Uh, is this another connection to the Boston uh, episode? Speaking of Mary, <laughs> well, I, is she walking away? I don't know. I see my man. So here's the is, thing. I, what about Gilligan's Island? <laughs> there you go. I was debating between is this my favorite song on the album or uh, is, is uh, cynical girl my favorite song on the album i've i've been listening to both of them live a lot because yeah. that's the only way that i can get it i think he does marianne better live than he does cynical girl i, I like marianne live better than i do the album version yeah it's, yeah it's, it's good energy or something it's good yeah. yeah do y'all know that somebody took a look at the boat from gilligan's island and 
in three hours, it could only have traveled 46 miles. <laughs> so I don't know how they got lost. They went, maybe they went the into guy, the... The guy goes, I don't even know if I believe that show's real. They, they went into the uh, Bermuda Triangle, I guess. Yeah. Except um, they're in the they're Pacific. On the, yeah, maybe there's something over there. Anyway, um, ladies and gentlemen, that's how, not the... Uh, I love, and the thing it does on the chorus on this song, where it, where there's that yeah, other uh, line singing over yeah, the main over, lyrical yeah. chorus of the chorus. It, it, this, you can tell these guys, this was done almost, you can tell it's almost done live, and they just know their parts yeah. down well, pat. And, you, you probably saw the same interviews I did when he said that he was too carried away about perfection, and he just drilled these guys to death. Yeah, on, on all of these tunes. I wonder if that stems from him being part of that musical production. Probably. So. I, mean, I think you, that's I mean, a big. You know, I think you had to be. You know, because you're not just performing rock and roll when you're in that. You're having to. You well, have look to at be, the guys that have come from that, like uh, Meatloaf. All the stuff with that yeah. was all pretty. You had that was get Taskmaster. Right? Yeah. No, but I mean, just being part of that that mindset Culture where you got to be perfect. Yeah. yeah, I don't know, but. This is one of the cleanest live bands. You know, the other clean live band that really surprised me was Wilco, and I didn't expect that, and I'm sorry to bring that up, Tony. Um, <laughs> I, I like Wilco. I don't like that album. There's well, a difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're a horrible person. Um, <laughs> up next, Soldier uh, of Love. Soldier of Love. Use your There's a lot of hindsight reviews of this album that say this putting this song on it was a misstep, and I disagree. I totally disagree. 100%. I like this song because I, I think it. it's going to do something, and it doesn't do it. Well, the funny thing about this is, so this was originally recorded by Arthur Alexander in 1962, and it sounds <laughs> that sounds so yeah, it sounds. I was so about to say, different. you know, it sounds like uh, yeah. it sounds like the coasters could have done it. Yeah. Like that. But I, it's great. But what's funny about that is Marshall Crenshaw was not aware of that version of the song. The version he was aware of was off of a bootleg that he had, uh, that he and his compatriots in Beatlemania knew, which is this. And, and uh, of course, I like that one too. Uh, it's, it's <laughs> That's the, the one it's I the knew. It's the Beatles. Um, yeah, the Beatles. He knew that version. He wasn't aware of the Arthur Alexander version. Um, there's, he fell in love with the Beatles version. I think. I think he's doing his debut, and he's like, "There's no way I'm not putting this song on this album." Right. Yeah. Right. And it fits perfectly. I think anybody who has an issue with it being on there are they, they horrible people? <laughs> sure, they're horrible people. I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah. Maybe it's uh, a way to express how. Hell, the album's only 32 minutes long. Too. You know, the derailers did, uh, after Tony Villanueva left, the derailers did a version of, a really good version of the song with Brian Hopefeld singing lead. It's 
I'm, that's a shout out to them. Go go pull the album. It's well, it's not really, the most obscure song. I think the album's actually called Soldiers of Love, the Derailers album, but the song, their version of it's really good. Do they too. say Soldiers of Love or Soldiers of Love? Because <laughs> I was in a band called Sexy and the Sexies, and we used to do that oh, song. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, we still have more songs to go, and the next one is called Not Me. Not for me. This song sounds different than other songs in the album, but not in the same way the other three do. I, I don't I don't know what it is. It sounds slightly more mature. Like there, there's something else going on here. Yeah. Um, I don't think the uh, tune is as simple. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a great song. I love well, this song. More, again, there's a little bit more production. There's some more percussion going on on it. And, um, you know, this to me... Instead of going out for the rockabilly stuff, this sounds almost like a Sam and Dave or a Stax kind of thing. Yeah, it's definitely like got a, soul to it that the other songs, yeah, I agree with that like 100%. The jam. I um, if somebody told me this was the jam. Yeah. I, I, it, I, I agree with that. Yeah. It does yeah. sound. It's, um, it's a mod tune, then. It is that what you're saying? It doesn't, um, the, it doesn't create the, it, this is the hooklessest one. Yeah. It yeah. goes... It goes linear a lot longer mm-hmm. without any resolution or happiness. Um, yeah. It, it, it yeah. sounds when like... When you say jam, that really hit. Well, it sounds mm-hmm. to me like a lot of the bands in the in the mid-80s, what I would call power pop bands, are within that kind of genre, like Squeeze and things mm-hmm. like that. They're doing, they're doing this kind of music. Um, it, it's not as hook-oriented, like instant hook-oriented, but there's a tunefulness to it that's apparent. Uh, yeah, it's it's got all the elements that the other songs have, but it just does something different with it's, them. It's stretched out. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm I'm really intrigued by that jam comparison. I'm going to have to dig into that. <laughs> Sounds like that's inter- uh yeah. <laughs> that's Probably not done or, a jam album yet. Yeah, we I don't know who's... I mean, all of us listen to the jam, but whose responsibility is the jam? Where does that fall? <laughs> Probably me. I think it's like the baby thrown out of the window and three firemen are sitting there looking, thinking the other guy's going to catch it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I dig the jam. I went through a big uh, jam, and what was the album? What was the band after Style the jam? Style Council. Style Council. I went through a big deal with all that. Okay. Our final album. Our, our final album. <laughs> Our song. Fi- our final If song. this is our final album, that means one of us is about to bite the dust. <laughs> two, two, just over two and a half minutes, this song. Just Brand new two. lover. I know it Who's doing the ooze? I think it's its brother. I do too. Uh, I it works really well. Um, this to me also again like an idiot sounds like a rock pile song. Yep, know? it does. Yep. Um, it's definitely rootsier than anything else on it. Yeah. Do you know this is the song why we're experts? Do you know why? Uh, 
No, because I would have already said anything I know. Uh, I'm going to play. I'm going to play a cover version of this that was actually recorded and released prior to this album. See if you can pick out who it is. Is this going to be Joe Ely or something? No, you may not know. I can see that's a girl. That's so familiar. I got to make some changes. Lou Ann Barton. It's Lou Ann Barton. Oh. She recorded it on her debut album before wow. this was released. Yeah. So I was wondering why we were experts. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> Lou Ann Barton, for those of you who don't know, is an um, Austin what, blues. What well, she has always had the Antones, right? Yeah. yeah I mean, it's her and Angela Straley and all that crowd. Were, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was recorded. They were kind of an early '80s. But it's staple. weird that uh, so that's kind of outside her uh, normal deal. Well, and yeah. I think what's interesting about that and the and Robert Gordon doing someday some way is so we're we're sitting here salivating over this these this guy and his songs. Obviously, other people are paying attention to this guy yeah. was writing songs that people wanted to record. Yeah, um, this song has uh, hand claps in it. I know. I figured well, I was, like I was wondering how long it would take us to get to hand claps. <laughs> I, we do have some hand claps on this. And the this, bass is outstanding on yeah, this song. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to say something that you guys might roll your eyes at, but um, I could hear I I could kind of maybe hear Southside doing this song. <laughs> I'm not going to roll your my eyes at that. I could definitely see that. It, it, I could it, hear some horns. It's, behind yeah. That. Imagine this song with horns well, on it. Yeah. Yeah. But I'll tell you what. Imagine. A gazelle hopping through a pretty melody, uh-huh. and then here comes a big elephant with a whole bunch of people behind him. I get it. That would be the Southside version. I get Giant it. Giant horns everywhere. It doesn't need horns, but I'm just saying it could. No, it could Southside's know. not going anywhere without a bunch of giant yeah. horns and some babies. Yeah. And it's, uh, of course, goes without saying, a great way to end this album. Oh, yeah. This second side is so fantastic. The second side is I gotta, I gotta so, say that, so good. Um, the deeper I got into this album, uh, the, the first two tunes I didn't need any help with. I didn't need any more introduction to them. And then uh, I spent a lot more time on the second side after, uh, yeah. after I got going. Yeah. It's almost one of those albums where you... Don't realize there's a second side to it, which you always listen. But in this case, you didn't realize there was a first side to it. <laughs> so, um, how many, how many uh, more albums do we have after this one? Quite a few. It's like ten or something. Yeah, it's not a whole lot considering how long he's been recording. But he actually started doing EPs and singles again. He stopped recording albums, and he's and he actually is on the record. I don't know if he's changed his mind or not, but he's on the record saying, I'm not doing albums anymore. I'm just focusing on the singles. Hmm. Well, and um, he get, he's get, gets more than anybody we talked about. He gets other types of work. He does. He does. In fact, I'm going to bring up a song that he wrote in, uh, in 1995 that I think you pro- guys probably know. He co-wrote this song, actually. It gets hot, the memories fade what they say it's likely they're just jealous and cheated well maybe i don't want to take advice from fools i just figure everything is cool until i hear it 
Jayhawks? No, it's the Jim Blossoms. Oh, the Jim Blossoms. Oh, I knew that. I knew he Blossoms did a song with the Jim Blossoms. A, and, and this was a big... This he was should a big, have done something with the Jayhawks. This is, yeah. <laughs> this is a big song. It was, uh, it was actually in the... Uh, I think it's on the soundtrack for Empire Records. Um, he also wrote a, like the definitive book on Hollywood, re- rock and roll and Hollywood music called Hollywood Rock, A Guide to Rock and Roll and Movies. And wow. people rave about that book. So he's one of these guys, similar to Nick Lowe, similar to other people we talked about, who's just an encyclopedia about music. He had a radio right. show on it. it do, he doesn't have any more because uh, I was hoping to look for it. I didn't know he had it, but he had a radio show on a local New York City radio station where on Sunday nights where he was doing the kind of, just Why playing what he we, wanted to. We ought to, to. do that. <laughs> if you're in New York, tell them that we ought to be up there. Uh, yeah. Get him on uh, Sirius XM. Let's, yeah. let's start a petition. We should. We should. For him or I, us. <laughs> I don't know yeah, how this guy didn't have a bigger career or doesn't have a bigger career than he did. It doesn't He's got sound like hands. he played the game I, very maybe. well. But I, I think James right about that. And uh, I'm, I'm going to say something highly controversial. Okay. I think this guy did not break much new ground. I think this guy perfected previously broken ground. Mm. Yeah. And that may be a little bit of um, why he didn't become the next big thing. Yeah. Oh, that, that, you, you may have hit the nail on the head. Um, guys like me who don't care about ground, <laughs> you're perfectly happy with, uh, yeah. You don't need to be a sod buster, is no. what you're saying. No. You're happy with the uh, ground yeah. that's been yep. broken before. Yep. I am too. And, uh, this, Great songwriter, highly competent singer, great very guitar good player. guitar player, yeah. tight, tight band, yeah. and a, a, a very clean production with very fun songs. Mm-hmm. And I just, the only thing I got to say is these aren't indoor songs. These are outside or driving in your car songs. I, 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 when I, when we were, when I was listening to this, kind of thinking about what you're thoughts were going to be i kept thinking of any trouble like if if you were oh, having the same when you know the way you talked about hearing that album for the first time i i thought about any trouble while i was listening to this album too yeah, yeah. that's the other band i was thinking of the bands that were coming out of this time that were the minimalist I nick Lowe the most and any trouble second yeah. i can't believe i didn't i still beat myself up over <laughs> <laughs> too close tony yeah all right ladies and gentlemen that uh, gives us a, a a rundown of a very good album. And to be quite honest, I got caught completely blindsided by this album. I'm uh, perfectly ashamed of myself for not already <laughs> owning it, but it's a great album. And at this time, we're going to give it a little review. And we're going to our tremendously humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. He's going to give us a personal review and then he's going to give us the cold-hearted critic review all right so i'm going to go with my personal review first um as i mentioned earlier this was just an album that um i remember from my early days are really starting to get into music where i was really getting past the sticks when i was really getting past the journey when i was really getting past just the most of the crap that was on the radio and this was helped me or propelled me to start looking for bands that weren't 
you know, in the mainstream. So this is a, a pretty important album for me. And like I said, my cousin had it and I made a cassette of it. And, um, uh, you know, I didn't, I, I got to admit, I didn't listen to it that much afterwards. I think it was because <laughs> those three songs that we were talking about uh, on side two, but one. our side one, sorry. Um, but it, you know, going back and revisiting it, uh, for this, it's just been a revelation. I'm just, I'm definitely going to be listening to this again. It's going to be, and I appreciate Tony, you uh, providing the uh, the vinyl for it because I'm not sure I could find my cassette even if I wanted to, or find something that I could play it on. Well, I, you know, I I'm like Doug. I think in this, if I'm someplace and I see an album I already own, but I know somebody else doesn't, and they should, I just <laughs> buy it and give it to them, and yeah, that's what that's I did. A, I think good, I gave yeah, both let, you guys this album. Did. Let's do the old pay it forward on that. Yeah. Uh, tapsters, but anyway, um, so I'm going to give it a four or five. I, I just I don't have any really. I don't have bad memories of this album. I just the the, the there's it never touched you. <laughs> <laughs> turn the lights it, out. I didn't turn the, <laughs> shut the door. I think there's two songs that I wish had been done differently, um, but I wouldn't take them off the album. And other than that, I think it's just a, a, a fantastic album. So I, I really enjoyed listening to it. As a critic, I'm probably also going to give it a four or five. I think that both ways stands. I think there's stuff that just could have been uh, redone or done in a little bit better way. Um, sometimes I'll even go as far as to say the lyrics grate on me just a little bit. There's just parts of the song, uh, some songs that I that the lyrics just kind of seemed a bit forced to me. But other than that. Uh, it's a fine album. Go out and buy it. Thank you, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. Now, uh, the highlight of the show is always when I give my review, and uh, I hope everybody will stay tuned so they can hear Tony. Um, mine is real simple. Uh, on a on a uh, heartfelt level, I give it a 4.5, and on a critic's level, I give it a 4.5. I know why I don't know about this album. It's because it's a pop album. And in 1982, I was way too sophisticated to listen to a top album. I was so deep and so sophisticated that I couldn't listen to something like this. Uh, however, I'm 57 years old now, and I know that pop tunes are among the hardest tunes of all to write. And a good crisp one that sums up in less than three minutes is a masterpiece. So... I'm a big fan of this record, and I recommend it to everyone. Now we go to 23 and T. <laughs> I think I failed that test earlier, but... Um, oh, you did a good job. You failed the part with the brother. Yeah. Uh, I'll, do, I'll do critic. I think a 4.5 is a fair critical uh, rating for this album. Um, I think those three songs we talked about, um, because of the sequencing, are a bit of a dip. If they had been moved around, if two, I mean, I, I don't know if anything could salvage girls other than removing the protection, <laughs> the production on it. Cause the production is just awful. But uh, the other two songs, if they had been put like placed someplace else in the album, I think I'd probably bump it up higher. Uh, I'm going to give it a four, eight for my personal. I love this album. It's got some of my favorite songs on it. It makes me so happy. I am, as Doug said, um, the art of writing a three-minute pop song that um, that sticks to you, 
and there's several of them on this album, mm-hmm. I think speaks volumes. Um, also a big fan of his follow-up and some of his other stuff too, but this yeah, album is great. This album is so great. And I like jam, you should go out and get it if you can find it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as you know, at this time, we reach out to the young people. It's kind of like in church when they tell a story and they make the little kids come up to the front of the church to hear something. <laughs> so we go to our youth minister, Tony. And Tony, what do you have for the kids tonight? Okay, I'm going to recommend an album that came out in 2019 by a gentleman by the name of Brad Marino. Um, this is an album called Extra Credit. For those of you who follow us on Instagram, uh, I bought this actually during Record Store Day. Um, it, this guy is, um, he's in a band called The Connection. Uh, it's uh, This is a solo album. It, it's a pop, it's a power pop album, but it's a little harder edged. I, I think people tend to lean say it leans more towards maybe the Ramon side of things. I don't think it's quite that. Um it's got elements of what's on it's got elements of a throwback of a bit like the Marshall Crenshaw stuff, but it's definitely got a, it's a little bit more rocky. Uh rockin', not rocky, rockin'. Um but uh one one of the stands out to me is this song called Wake Up Baby. So that's a that's a great song, and that's then good. <laughs> and then, uh, let's see if you're saying you don't love me, that ain't true. That's uh, from the start, which is also that's a little bit more of the Ramon side of things. But it's a, it's a fantastic album. You can get it on Bandcamp. We will put it on our recommendations page, and you can go and support this gentleman who uh, who's making some really great music right now. I'll so. say that's some fantastic stuff. All right. Well, thanks for that, Tony, and thanks to you, Tapsters, for joining us on this episode of This Is Vinyl Tap, the podcast that goes to eleven. And if you would like to spread the word about this podcast, be sure and tell your friends about the show and let them know that we're available on any of yours or theirs favorite podcasting platforms. And if you feel so inclined, go up to one of those platforms, leave us a review and rate us with some stars and uh, leave us a message if you could. We're also available via Twitter at Tapping Vinyl and Facebook via our group page. And of course, if you're old school like me, there's email, tappingvinyl at gmail.com. Also, because we're coming up on uh, our 100th episode, we're looking for a listener's choice. It's going to be a special episode. We're looking for the first band that we're going to repeat. We've done more than 80 episodes so far, and we have yet to repeat an artist. So we're looking for the band that we would repeat on our very special episode, the 100th episode, and we're looking for listener's choice. Go in, vote. You can go up on any social network that we're on. Also, a great place to do that would be our fantastic website, 
tappingvinyl.com, where you can find links to past episodes, where you can leave us comments, where you will find all sorts of uh, extra information about the bands that we've talked about, rare videos, rare recordings. Um, Be sure and go and check us out there if you haven't already. Tappingvinyl.com. Next week, we're going to be turning our attention to a fantastic album by one of the best interpreters and sometimes one of the worst interpreters of songs. Her album from the 1970s, which is considered a classic, Linda Ronstadt and Heart Like a Wheel. Our host, Doug Cooper, our co-host, Tony Slagle, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. This is Vinyl Tap, where all the podcasts go to 11, and maybe someday, some way, you'll understand us. 